What a blessing God's Word is. I, I so enjoyed our time over Christmas rediscovering Christmas with you all. It was a blessing. It was the most um, resources that we have provided as a church family for Advent, and we were kind of all in with Advent. And with the devotional readings, my family felt connected to many of you, even though you weren't in our homes for our family worship times. It was a wonderful season to stay connected to Advent. We joined with evangelical and gospel preaching and revealing churches all over the country. Uh, preaching that series as we preach through our Advent time together and uh, preaching similar texts, and uh, it was just a blessing. This morning, I'd like to continue to look at the timeline of young Jesus, if you will. If, if we finish up where we started with Advent, we started with Simeon and Anna as Jesus was presented in the, in the temple eight days uh, after that time had happened, and they hold him in his arms and they say, my eyes have seen your salvation. So we know that happened after he was born. In fact, we know the shepherds came to Jesus as a babe in a manger. The magi came to him when he was a young child. And then last week, Mark Pesker said, we know when they came, but when did the drummer boy show up? I don't, I don't know. Um, but today we find ourselves Jesus progressing into a young boy. The, the main idea this morning will come from that phrase that Jesus uttered. It's rendered one way in the ESV. We'll look at it rendered uh, a little bit differently in the King James and, and see why it's nuanced that way from the original language. But it's this thought of being about our Father's business and what that meant for Jesus in that moment. But I want to work through the text as we do and get there. I hope that it will be a blessing to you. I think we'll be challenged this morning to never underestimate a child a child's immediate kingdom value, not just their future potential. I think also we're going to see a lesson here for all of us, no matter what age or what our socioeconomic status is. Let's, let's work through the text. If you've got your Bibles there, open them up to Luke chapter number two. Just when you thought you were done with Luke two for Christmas, I want to revisit some of this. Let's look at those first couple of verses. I'm going to give you some notes to write down as we often do. There's a handout in the back where you can make some notes on the back. They should fit right in your Bible pretty well or you can take notes online if you're one of those folks that wants to do it that way following along on YouVersion or our church app. The first thing I would have us notice as we work our way toward this phrase about my father's business is in verse 41 and 42, I want you to look at the committed family that's here. There is a committed family. They're going up to Jerusalem, you see it there, at the year of the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. Now, this one-day feast of the Passover was followed by the seven-day feast of unleavened bread. We've talked about that before. It's sometimes the whole event is referred to as Passover. It wasn't culturally necessary for women and children under 13 to attend the Passover, but they were allowed. A child of 12 was permitted, in fact, as a son of the law to take part in this sacred festival. Joseph and Mary weren't just committed because they chose to have a child. In fact, the Bible says that Mary was a virtuous uh, woman and Joseph was a man of mercy and integrity. We know that. The Lord honored them, chose them, has called them for a greater kingdom purpose. 
but they're committed to the Lord even as a family. Do you see it? They are on their way to do the things that you're supposed to do when you're committed to the Lord as a family. They're going to the house of God together. They are all in and not just because they are the earthly parents of the Christ child. All in. Giving God their all. We're going to take a note of a couple of things. I'm going to give you a few thoughts that popped into my head as I was studying this. Some things it reminded me of from the Old Testament and other narratives. And then we're going to land at that about my father's business. It reminded me of Hannah in the Old Testament. Remember Samuel's mom going to the temple? She had prayed and prayed and prayed for God to give her a child. God gives her a child and then what does she do? She goes to the temple and gives the child back to God. She's basically saying, all that I have, give I thee. She's offering God her all, and it was a priority. Contrast that with Jesse in the field. Remember Jesse? When Samuel later would come as prophet to find the sons of Jesse, what did Jesse do? Jesse paraded his best in front of Samuel and said, here, here's the best I have to offer. And Samuel said, this might be your best, but is this all you have? Are these all your sons? You see, sometimes I think we want to give God our best talent or our best thing that we have. And God does want our best, yes, but he's more interested in our all. Joseph and Mary were all in. Not just because Jesus was the Christ child. Hannah, all in. See it? Lord, I'm giving this answer to prayer to you. As, as you are a family or single individual in the room, are your traditions, is your behavior, does your calendar communicate that your relationship with God is a priority and the fellowship of the church is a priority? What are the priorities for your family? If your kids, if I can talk to families with kids, were asked, what are the things you will not miss? What will they say there? Is, is church on the list? Church gathering? Bible study? Family prayer? I don't know. I don't say that to browbeat anybody or shame anybody. I'm just saying it's interesting to note this committed family going to do it. You know what? Here's the thing. If anybody had a pass, they probably could have gotten one. I mean, it was Jesus, right? Did they really need to do anything? He was already Christ. But they still went to church, even with Christ as a child. There are no perfect parents. Only perfect kids can demand perfect parents. But uh, here we see this family committed. The second thing I'd have you notice is the crowd of followers. Now, if I ask for a show of hands, um, I, I don't know how many of us would truthfully admit to leaving our children behind somewhere. Um, I will tell you that the more kids you have, the more likely that is to happen. Uh, I just happen to know a ministry family that it's happened to at least once, uh, and I'll stop saying that. Um, but here, I want you to notice the crowd. When the feast had ended, they're returning, and the boy Jesus stayed behind, supposing him to be in the group. Do you see that in verse 44? Uh, they went a day's journey, and then they couldn't find him. Verse 45, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. The scramble of getting on the road, an interruption to the routine, a forgotten head count, but Mary and Joseph actually lived through leaving your kid behind. And wow, not just leaving your kid behind, but it was Jesus. Um, this is not a reflection on their bad parenting, though. I want to walk you into the custom of the day for just a moment. 
But it's worth noting here that a 12-year-old Jewish boy in this day was not like a 12-year-old American or Western kid. This was like a mature 15 to 17-year-old boy who had had a job for about eight years at this point and had been explicitly schooled almost exclusively in the law for eight years. He could quote most of what was at the time the Bible. You with me? 12 years old, a little different from our 12-year-olds today. All the 12-year-old guys in here are awesome, I know that, but I'm just saying, other churches, right? Um, he would have already been well-trained. Josephus estimates that there were roughly 3 million people, there could have been up to 3 million people, journeying into Jerusalem for this feast that day. It was customary and reasonable for Mary and Joseph to think that Jesus was in one of the crowds. You see, there was a crowd of men that would journey together, okay? Men included 13-year-old boys and up. And then there was a crowd of women and children that would journey separately, two crowds from a town going to Jerusalem and coming back. 12-year-old boys at this point in their life got to run with either crowd, you see that? Because they were kind of in training in this period of transition. So I'm sure when Mary looked back and saw that Jesus wasn't with him, she thought, oh, he's probably with his dad. And they journeyed for a day. And the dad, knowing Jesus wasn't around, well, I guess since it's his last trip with his mom, he's probably with his mom. That's presupposition, but the two crowds, it would have not been impossible. Do you see what I'm saying? For the, them to think that Jesus was with the crowd, the group is the word, but not necessarily right next to them. It's pretty awesome here that uh, they get about a day's journey and then go, wait, I, where is Jesus? And then they start looking for Jesus. Then they travel. We'll see him traveling back in just a moment. This thought of not knowing that Jesus isn't with you, it's, it's a little different for us today, but it made me think of Samson. I don't know where your mind goes, but my mind went to Samson who when Delilah had tricked him into giving up that secret, that Nazarite vow, then Samson says in Judges 16:20, he wakes up. She says, the Philistines are on you, Samson. She's cut his hair. And he says, I'm going to go out at other times as I have and shake myself free. And then the most, some of the most haunting words in Scripture, it says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Contrast that with Moses in the Old Testament, who with the people of God in Exodus 33 said, Lord, I won't go anywhere without your presence. Shane and Shane did a version of a song on that that I love. It says, if your presence goes, I don't want to stay. And if your presence stays, I don't want to go. I need you. Here's a question for you, a little bit of application. Are we making assumptions about Jesus based on the crowds that we see? Or are we in his presence ourselves? Something to think about. I want you to notice this focus that happens in the next couple of verses, a concentrated focus. They get about it. Mary and Joseph get after it. Now, they're about a day's journey away. It's unlikely that they search for three days. That's not what the text says. They're about a day away, so they're day one, and then they turn around and go back. It takes them a day to get back. And then that third day, they find Jesus in the temple, astonishing those around him, probably in one of the porches of the court of women in the temple there where the schools of the rabbis were held. 
and the law was regularly expounded. Here's 12-year-old Jesus expounding on the law. Now, the sight of a 12-year-old boy boldly proclaiming the scriptures amazes the crowds and surprises his mother. But Mary's relief fades quickly to exasperation as she asks Jesus why he had put them through such a harrowing ordeal. Look at verse 48 with me. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother says to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. She's honest. She's transparent. Mamas, isn't it good that even Mary identified as being a mama, right? Jesus' response will flip the script on this for the rest of Mary's life. Notice what he says in verse 49. The ESV renders it this way. He says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, the King James renders it this way. He says, I must be about my father's business. ESV and IV say that house. The King James uses the word business there. What's the difference there? Are they essentially the same? They are, and they're not. So, nerd alert here. In the original language, there's no object to that description of fathers. So basically, it's very awkward in the English, but what he's saying is, I must be about my father's affairs or the things of my father or in that which belongs to his honor and glory. Now for the Jews, that happened at the house of God. Do you see it? For us today, I I don't want you to unnecessarily narrow that to mean that being a Christian and doing churchy things is just showing up at church when it's time to worship. That's not the explicit commands here. Jesus is saying, I must be about my father's business, which includes being at the house of God when it's time. His parents had loved and had trained him for this moment, and he's killing it. I mean, he's doing what needs to be done. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asked the question, what is the chief end of man? And many of you know the response. It's a beautiful response to glorify God and enjoy him forever. His parents had loved and trained him, not with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, but they had equipped Jesus with the training of the law even to do this thing as a human boy. Contrast that with some of today's seemingly noble parenting tasks. Tell me if these are some of your parenting goals. Don't, don't lean in too heavily. Developing, I want my kids to develop special skills. I want my children to be psychologically well adjusted. I want well-behaved children. I want my kids to have a good education. I want them to have a better job than I have. And for Christians, we want our kids to get saved and we want our kids to come alive and be animated during our family worship times. Some of us just want to control our children with no real goals at all because it's fun to be in charge. As tempting as some of these sounds as ultimate goals for our parenting, Ted Tripp reminds us in his stellar work, Shepherding a Child's Heart, listen carefully, like Old Testament Israel, you too are subject to the powerful influence of our culture. Like Israel, we must reject the things in culture that are abhorrent to Jehovah God. 
Jesus responds in this moment by declaring that this father-son relationship trumps every other relationship in his life. You know, we sing the song, Mary, Did You Know? I've seen a lot of memes go after it like, yeah, she did. Stop singing the song. Stop asking the question, right? No? Nobody else sarcastically responding to that? You've heard it, right? The song is a beautiful song. But if you think about it, and after you've heard it for 27 Christmases, as I'm imagining Pastor D has probably been exposed to it time and time again and others, you go, I think, yeah, she did. She emailed me. Mary texted me. She knew, right? Um, But here... Jesus is basically saying, Mary, did you know? Now here it's asked appropriately, did you not know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Mary knew the time was coming when she'd have to let him go. I don't think she expected it to come so soon. It shocks her into this painful awareness. Their relationship reaches a turning point. The bond between devoted mother and son, divine son, is fundamentally and forever change. You moms know this of teenage boys. There's a change that comes. There's a change that comes. It's a natural change. It's a, boy, this is going to sting moms. Love me through this. It's a good change. It has to happen that way for them to become men. It's still painful. This is not just that. This is shifting into that office. It occurs to me this sense of fearless abandon to God with almost without regard for anything else going on around you. David had this when he was on the threshing floor and wanted to give an offering to the Lord and his, one of his subjects said, hey, take what I have and, and use what I have. Everything, burn the whole place. You can have all this. You can take it. You're the king. Whatever you want is yours. And he says, no, I, I can't pretend to give God something if it doesn't cost me anything. You see, David's title wasn't enough to make an offering. David's function wasn't enough, he knew, to satisfy a reasonable offering to the Lord. He said, I've got to have some actual skin in the game. It's got to cost me some, sorry, hate to go here on the 27th, but money. I, I, I want to fund this offering where it costs me something. Peter and John, knowing full well the council of leaders would persecute them if they continued to preach in Jesus' name with this almost um, reckless abandon to things around them, says, we can't can't even speak if we don't get to use the name Jesus. Following the Lord will cost you something, and Jesus knew that it would cost him everything as a man. It's costing him even at twelve. Final observation about the family, and then we get to application on about my father's business. Verses 51 and 52, last two verses there. And he went down with them, Jesus goes down with them and comes to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Boy, that's a throwback to Proverbs 3 that we opened with. It's also a throwback to 1 Samuel 2, a description of Samuel. Very same language is used there. Even though Mary and Joseph had a moment of not understanding and they were frustrated as parents, they depart as a united family. It's interesting to me that Luke notes that he was submissive to them. Watch this. He's honoring his earthly parents and his heavenly father. Both are possible. He wasn't conflicted in his submission. 
Mary keeps all these things, treasures up all these things. She holds these things dearly deep within herself. It reminds me of verse 19 in the Christmas account, and Mary pondered these things in her heart. It's one of Ashley's favorite verses. Can I tell you what I'm praying for some of you at Grace Covenant this year? I'm praying that the Lord does something so special for you in your Bible reading time when it's just you and the Lord, so special for you when you are pouring out your heart to God in prayer, so special for you when you are worshiping the Lord when nobody's watching, that the Lord and you have a special moment that you can't even post about. All you can do is treasure it deep within your heart. It's too personal. It's not for publicity. It's worth more than a like or a retweet. Let's look at that crazy statement Jesus makes at 12 years old about my father's business. I must be in the affairs of my father and what belongs to his honor and glory. I wonder this morning as we come to the final moments of the sermon. Here we are sandwiched between the close of a historic 2020 and the approaching 2021 Would you be willing to seriously consider just a few questions from this text in light of what we're reading? Before we make it personal, let me ask something about Grace Covenant Church, about our children and our students. I started with it at the very beginning. Are young people potential disciple-making disciples? Or did Jesus hold them up as capable functioning spiritual beings in need of our full attention and best efforts. In Matthew 11, in Matthew 18, in Matthew 19, in Matthew 21, in Luke 1, Jesus holds up children. Do you know it's the only people group that he ever moved somebody out of the way to get to him? We do a lot of ministry to different age brackets, and if you look at the way most churches spend money or make decisions, not Grace Covenant, I'm just saying a lot of churches make money and spend decisions, they're looking for an ROI, they're looking for return on investment, what can self-fund and self-perpetuate, I know it's disgusting, churches think this way, but they do that. And they want to see, oh, we want to make sure we've got a vibrant ministry to this or that. Here's the deal, Jesus moved the adults out of the way to get kids around him. Children and students are worth our best efforts and our full attention, regardless of your age at Grace Covenant Church and regardless if any of those kids are from your family or not. As we covenant together as a church family, we endeavor to live out Titus 2, which has us older pouring into those that are younger. It takes all of us. It takes all of us. Now, let's make it personal. About my father's business. I think if we ask the question, what is the father's business for us this morning? I think we have to start by looking at what Jesus did and recognize it's at least what Jesus displays here. Let's start there. If we follow Jesus at 12, we see the first thing. He was at the temple. (laughs) The pre-pandemic metrics showed us, church pastors, That faithful, sold out, committed, all-in church member attendance meant that they were present 70% of the time. Now, if I could go back in time and talk to pastors about 20 years ago and say, in 20 years, you're sold out 100% all-in people, 
what that's going to mean for you is that they're here seven out of ten Sundays. That are going, oh, no, 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 that means they're backslid. Now, not here. I'm just saying that's, that metric has changed. Why? Because of affluence. People can travel more easily. People are taking family trips more. Business travel is a part of that. There are all kind of reasons. I'm not saying you love God less if you miss it. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just bringing your attention to a present reality. Now, the current projections based on the global pandemic, are you ready for this, show that 25 to 30% of those who were attending pre-pandemic won't ever be back to church. And it's not because they're watching the stream. They're done. They were looking for a door, and the pandemic gave them one. Now, we can analyze that data if you want to. I've spent some time doing that. Here's the question I have for you. Here's the only thing I would ask for those of us. Is it easy for you to miss gathering together with God's people? I I hope not. It shouldn't be. Regardless of your preferences, we are commanded in Scripture not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together to worship. The assembled church, the called out ecclesia in the New Testament is a gathered and called out body. Now, some of you, because of this incredible circumstance that we have, are watching faithfully online, and I am so incredibly grateful for the tool, and we're going to continue online ministry. It's, it's going to get better in the days ahead, God willing. We're, we're going to continue to minister to people across the street and around the world as Grace Covenant Church. That's what we do. It's who we are. But you ought to long to be here when you're not, to be with the body when you're not, not as beautiful as this building is, as special as this building is, it's not about the building, it's about us being together. Jesus was at the temple and it matters. The second thing I'd have you notice is that he was engaged in conversation centered on scripture. Most conversations that happen within seconds of the praise be to God on Sunday mornings are so disconnected from the content of the previous hour. In fact, Alistair Begg, one of my expositor heroes, refers to this, watch this, this is tough, not me, somebody else said this, as a pagan and potentially demonic distraction. Do you find it easier to talk about anything other than the Bible with your brothers and sisters? If we're going to be about our Father's business, we we need to show up at church, I think, and we need to have conversations about how the Lord is speaking to us in His Word. The third thing I would note here is that He was focused on the affairs of the Father. In this age of attention grabs and myriad distractions, it is difficult to lose ourselves in worship. But my stars, isn't that what we need? Don't we stand the most in need of this hour and this day that we would gather together? This hour that we have together is not much. It's not enough to fill up your tanks for a whole week. We are leaky people. (laughs) But because it's what we have and what we've set apart, surely it's special and distinct enough to warrant us putting on the do not disturb and not trying to catch up on the emails when you've got a spare moment. Maybe have a moment of quiet and disconnect. Step into this other realm, if you will, that's disconnected from the noise. And be still and know that he's God. I think if we're going to be about our Father's business, it at least looks like us being with the church and talking about the things of God and also being focused on the Lord. What about you? 
What's the Father's business specifically for you? What assignment does the Lord have for you? I can't answer that from the pulpit. I can say that whatever it is, it'll be in line with the gospel if it's from the Lord, which means it'll make much of Jesus and less of you. I can also say that the Father's business for your life, when you get engaged in the Father's business, it will also be distinct from this newly redefined American dream. Let's do a little quiz, a little talk back here. You've been quiet for a minute. I'm finishing up here. A little talk back here. The, the American dream, the American, we call it the pursuit of, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, yeah. That's been replaced some years ago with this. Tell me if you think this matches what it is. Statistician George Barnett wrote about this years ago. Here's what it is now. It's not that. It's this. It's the American dream is now govern, governed by an ethos of entitlement with a moral code that is based on cultural standards, where it is good to be spiritual but not religious, where living the good life means living a life of leisure with all of the comfort, all the convenience, and all the technology we want and having friends around us when we want them, where it means the pursuit of plentiful experiences with unrestrained choices, don't tell me no, and finally, where it means being independent with a sense of control over everything we touch. We want everything customized for us. If you're about the Father's business, your life will look distinct from that. If you're about the Father's business, it'll also mark you in such a way that your friends and family will marvel at the fact that you don't get riled up about the things they get riled up about, that you have a deep, settled hope that abides that you have a love that loves the unlovable and reaches the unreachable, that you have peace and joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. See, the language of this, I must be in my Father's house, it's broader than that. It's about my Father's business. It's broader because the call is broader to us. Jesus is calling you to follow him to a, a life of distinction that doesn't flow with the crowd. Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, is calling us to a life of selflessness that prefers others over ourselves. He's calling us to a life of worship and devotion that is more than just a Sunday morning gathering. Jesus is calling us to a life that will invite the question from our friends, where were you? Why weren't you with everybody else? What's up with you? You need to assert yourself more. <laughs> Tell me how to have what you've got. Oh. I'm not asking you this morning to mind your business. Look at those words. I, it's personal. Must, it's imperative. Be, it's about a state of being. It's who we are, not just what we do. About, it's what I associate with. It's intrinsic to my identity. My father's, he is my God, my shepherd, my savior, my king. I have a living, powerful, personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that has me access to the father and business. It's his work done his way so that he gets all the glory. I'm gonna ask Julia to come now, if she will, and ask the singers to stand by. Before we stand and close in singing, Julia's coming to the piano to play for us another reflective piece. I'd like you to just stay seated and, and take a moment of quiet and reflection. I want you to steward this time wisely. 
Some of us need to catch our breath. We've been going nonstop in 2020 in this incessant pace, and it's kept us from pausing and taking the time to really thank God for His provision, for spiritual fruit that we've seen as we were about His business. Maybe you take this moment while she's playing and just offer a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord as He sustained you this year. There's still some of us, I think, that need to regroup and recalibrate. We've forgotten, or maybe even worse, we've actually said no to great commandment and great commission moments. This year has been more about us surviving and complaining every step of the way than it has been about Him. Consider using this time as an individual or family and repenting Asking the Lord to forgive you and restore the joy of your salvation so that you might be about the Father's business. Last group. Some still, I'm convinced, when we gather online or on site, need to be completely made new. You've yet to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins and put your faith in. Oh, you do church, but He's not your Lord and Master. You are self-employed, self-made, but you're actually a slave about ready to self-destruct. The Bible says no one comes to the Father unless he or she is drawn by the Father. And if you sense he's calling you this morning, don't wait. Don't waste another minute trying to mind your business.